It's uh, my pleasure to call this uh, meeting of the Southern Alberta Council of Public Affairs uh, to order. Uh, I did a rough estimation of uh, which number of meetings this might be. Uh, maybe Gordon Campbell would know better, but I think it's something like uh, 1,601st or something like that uh, over the last 40 years. So it's, it's, this is an amazing institution uh, which you have kept alive and you should be very proud of. I think you're an amazing audience, uh, full of inquiry and uh, full of purpose to make change and keep democracy alive. It's an amazing organization, and it's wonderful that we can be part of this uh, together again and keep it going with a subject matter which uh, is probably you can't get it any bigger, uh, and, um, and it's a real handicap for you because you people always want to make changes to things, well, you're not going to change this one. <laughs> All you can do is just sit back and listen and observe. Um, so I just quickly remind you to make your $10 contribution to this wonderful facility and the wonderful camaraderie and the, and the speaker and the wonderful meal provided by uh, uh, Country Kitchen. Um, I'll let you know that the university is a partner of this effort. Um, they do the communication. So... Um, with these uh, things out of the way, um, I, uh, I want to say that, um, as Barry, I want to introduce the speaker first, yeah, and um, Barry is uh, a member of the uh, Lesbridge Astronomy Society, which has been going for about 25 years or so, and um, he's president of it, or has been the president of it several times. Uh, he's a long time fanatic follower of astronomy and all the things that go with it, the hardware that goes into the sky because of it. Um, he is a scientist at the agriculture, uh, the provincial agriculture building uh, in soils and water and environment. So his head is sitting on the right shoulders as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so it's a real pleasure to have him here to tell us all about uh, Galilea to the, to the universe. Um, I'd just like to remind Barry that, um, as he knows, um, Galileo was subject to an inquisition. And uh, I have I see no reason why Barry shouldn't be subject to one, too. <laughs> and uh, as you may know, you know, it almost cost Galileo's life. So at the end of this talk, uh, it will be judged by all of you whether Barry will be put in prison or whether it will cost him his life or will he will retain his freedom. So with that, Barry, it's all up to you now. <laughs> hey, thank you, Klaus. Uh, quite the introduction. I'm not sure if I should head for the door now or, <laughs> or, or later. But anyway, yeah, thanks, Klaus, and thank you for, for inviting me, Klaus, and, and for allowing me to speak to, to this group uh, uh, today. Now, Klaus, of course, indicated that I'm a member of the Lesbridge Astronomy Society, but Klaus is also a member of the Astronomy Society. He's been there for a few years, and he's actually our current uh, secretary. And uh, he's actually gave us a presentation to the club on, on Friday, and he talked about the moon. So if you have any questions about the moon, Klaus is your man, because he knows anything there is to know about, about our closest celestial neighbor. So, yes, it's a big topic, and Klaus, do I only have 25 minutes? Did you say, oh, geez. 
okay, I'll see if I can squeeze the entire universe into 25 minutes. So the topic of the presentation is uh, from, uh, from Galileo to the universe. Now, the reason we're talking about this, this subject is, is to, to acknowledge that there is and to, and to, uh, to provide awareness that 2009 is uh, International Year of Astronomy. And this is a United Nations designation by, uh, through, uh, through UNESCO, and the International Astronomical Unit is also, uh, Union is also sponsoring this effort. And it's a global celebration of astronomy and its contributions to, to society, stimulating worldwide interest not only in astronomy itself but also other, other sciences. So organizations such as the one I, Klaus and I belong to are, are, are carrying out uh, public outreach uh, activities to bring astronomy to, to the public. Many astronomy clubs do this on a regular basis, but 2009 we're going to do it on, on an even more aggressive level, if you like. And certainly other organizations such as science centers and planetariums and, and astronomy departments and physics departments of universities are doing the same effort. So there are thousands of organizations around the globe that are undertaking this, this effort. And what we're hoping to do is, is to, to, to certainly celebrate this gentleman's achievements uh, 400 years ago. So that's why 2009 was picked, because it was 400 years ago this year that Galileo uh, trained his, his uh, primitive telescope on the night sky and started making observations about what, what we actually see out there. And this has made a profound change in how we started to, to understand and see, see the universe. So one of the goals that we would like to have the public experience is uh, what they refer to as a Galileo moment. At some point, hopefully over the course of the year, you'll experience some aspect about astronomy that you hadn't done before. So kind of have an engagement with, with astronomy, whether it's learning the phases of the moon, as, as Klaus has recently done and, and explained it to us on Friday, or seeing the rings of Saturn for the first time, or understanding what really a falling star is all about and, and things like that. So... It's, astronomy is often thought as being a very complicated science, but through this uh, celebration, we want to bring the science to, to the public and have them engage at some level of understanding. So a little bit of history first. Uh, I've got about three main points I want to cover, but one is, of course, Galileo himself. And he was born in, in 1950, or 1564 in Italy, lived for 78 years and passed away in 1642. But it is in the year of 1609 when Galileo observations revolutionized astronomy and changed worldviews profoundly in terms of how we saw the universe. So I'm not sure you can see this. I think you can. It's a, a, a short history lesson over the last uh, 2,000 or so years. So I've got 300 BC on, on your left all the way to 2,000 uh, on your right. So in, the, in about 300 or so B.C., Aristotle championed the, the concept that Earth was the center of the universe, and we had a very static, uh, perfect, uh, perfect system. But shortly thereafter, another gentleman by the name of Aristatius, I think that's how you pronounce it, proposed that actually the sun was in the center of the universe, but that fell off to the wayside uh, because the other model made sense, more sense at the time. And that model kind of hung around for several hundred years, several centuries, until the early 1500s, Copernicus came on to see a, a gentleman from Poland, and he reinvented the sun-centered concept of the, of the universe. 
Now, at that time, the 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 religious authorities was very powerful, uh, controlling uh, in terms of the politics and and how how society was governed. And in those days, when people started talking about um, these types of concepts, they got themselves in a lot of trouble, because the 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 authorities at that time very much supported the, the Earth-centered concept of the universe. Other people, such as Tycho Bray and Johannes Kepler, they developed the, the laws of planetary motion. In order to do that, it supported the Copernicus model. Galilei himself, in this roughly the same area, was the first person to start looking at actually looking at the universe with, with, with technology, and, and, and his observations start supporting these new ideas. Sir Isaac Newton, who was born the year Galileo passed away, and through his uh, lifetime, he came up with the laws of, of gravity. Albert Einstein developed an eternal, uh, another version of gravity through general relativity to answer certain questions that the Newtonian system could not. This gentleman, Edward Hubble, made, made a couple of fairly uh, significant discoveries. He discovered that some of those little fuzzy patches we see in the night sky are actually not in our galaxy, but are actually get, uh, are independent galaxies on their own. So he, he discovered galaxies. And he also discovered uh, that the universe is expanding through his observations using spectroscopy. It was a very major discovery, which uh, helped along with the, the development of our, our more or less our current model a fellow by the name of Georges uh, Lamontre, I think that's how it's pronounced, in 1927, proposed the Big Bang Theory, which is our, more or less our current theory about the universe. Uh, it survived and stood the test of time over the last uh, six decades. Of course, it's gone through some transformations and modifications, and it will continue to do so. So that's kind of a brief history just to put Galileo and his uh, work into perspective. So what did Galileo do 400 years ago? Well, it wasn't all that complicated. Actually, you know, a 12-year-old buying a, a, a department store telescope could easily do what he did uh, 400 years ago. But he trained his telescope onto the moon, and he discovered the moon has, has mountains and, and craters and valleys uh, and canyon systems. And that was against the, the current theory that the moon was a perfectly round sphere. He looked at Jupiter, and he discovered it has four bright satellites around it. And over a period of time, he noticed that they moved. So he concluded that they were, were, were uh, gravitationally attracted to uh, Jupiter, and they were actually orbiting the planet. So the universe is no longer static. It actually moves. He observed the planet Venus, and he noticed that it went through phases. And the only way to explain that is that it has to follow the, the uh, Copernicus model. In other words, Venus has to be orbiting the sun. Earth has to be orbiting the sun as well. And that's the only way he could explain it. So again, more observational data supporting the Copernicus model. And he observed one of the first people to observe sunspots on the, on the sun. And he concluded that the sun... Uh, actually moves, it rotates. And he also did some, he attempted to explain the tides on Earth. Now, he didn't do it correctly, but from his efforts, he was concluding that the Earth also moves. So these were going against the, the, uh, the, the current, the current uh, day of, of how we understood the universe at that time. So Galileo was making these observations. His observations were supporting the Copernicus model and and he started writing about these, providing his ideas and, and his support of the model. 
And, of course, he himself, like many others, got into trouble for doing this. And it came to a head when he produced this document called The Dialogue Concerning the Two Chief World Systems in, in 1632. And, of course, he went up against the, uh, the, the church at the time, the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and, but uh, but the, the um, persecution that he, that he was faced with uh, was, has, has been over-exaggerated. Um, Actually, the, the, the Pope at the time, Pope uh, Urban VIII, I think that's how it was pronounced. Um, before he was a Pope, he was a, he was a cardinal, of course, and he actually had a very good working relationship with with Galileo. Um, and Galileo had a very good re- working relationship with with the with the Church on a very high level. And actually, uh, the the the, uh, the Pope uh, supported Galileo in his efforts and his works and his teachings. And he actually encouraged Galileo to write this document, but with certain conditions. He has it treated just as a, as a kind of a, as an interesting theory, but he was not supposed to challenge uh, or contradict the church beliefs in terms of the, uh, the Earth-centered universe. Now, when Galileo eventually pro- uh, produced the publication, he didn't quite follow those, uh, those rules, and, and he lost favor with the Pope, and of course, he was brought in front of the Inquisition, which I hope I will not be, um, uh, in, in, in 1633. And, and he was tried, and he was co- convicted of, uh, how did they phrase it, uh, uh, strongly suspect of heresy. Didn't quite, quite come out and say he was, uh, um, was charged with that. And he was uh, sentenced to be imprisoned, and his document was to be banned, and that any further writings that he would do were not allowed. Now, he never served a day in jail, but he did remain in house arrest for the rest of his life, which was for another eight or, eight or nine years. So, so like I say, the, uh, his persecution was probably a little over-emphasized, over, uh, uh, but, uh, but nonetheless, he was, he was persecuted. But at least he, he maintained his life. A lot of people did not. So some of the legacies in terms of, in terms of Galileo, it, uh, by legend, it was, uh, it was said, this is never documented, but by legend said that when he was going through the Inquisition process and the trial, um, he, he was forced to, to, to recant what he had, 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 had uh, published. But at the same time, it, it is said that he, he says, but yeah, but it still moves. I'm not sure what he was referring to, maybe the movements of, of, the, of the satellites around Jupiter or, or the movement of the Earth or Venus. But he says, yeah, but the evidence here shows it still moves. So this was kind of championed in terms of a bit of a, of a, a philosophy, if you like, in terms of science, in that um, the search for truth should be the governing principle in the pursuit of scientific inquiry and that no political or governmental or religious authority of interest should have any power over scientific truth and its pursuit. So that's, I'm just raising this as kind of a legacy that came out of, of what you know, Galileo achieved and, and what he's perceived to achieve and, and kind of started. And certainly this leads into you know, what's the role of science in society and how it's contributed, bad or good. But that's a topic for another day. In terms of his legacy, other people recognize what he had started. He started the, really the scientific process of, of, of obtaining observational data to support uh, theories and to start... Uh, um, uh, uh, obtaining the data to support and, and legitimize uh, uh, theories. And people such as uh, Albert Einstein recognize him as the father of modern science and Stephen Hawking, so the birth of modern science. And, uh, and Sir Isaac Newton, uh, when he obtained his achievements through 
his his writings in terms of, of, of laws of gravity, he he acknowledged people that came before him, such as Galileo and, and Kepler and, and, and Copernicus, that he stood on the shoulders of giants in order to achieve what he achieved uh, not that long after Galileo. So we had this, the Earth-centered model of the universe and the Sun-centered model of the universe, and of course, eventually, regardless of what the Church had thought about it, it was not true, and we now know, of course, the the sun is in the center of our, our solar system. But at that time, actually, the Earth was displaced as a center of the universe. It was, it, was placed by, by their, it was replaced by the sun. So at that time, you know, 400 years ago, the sun was thought to be the center of the universe. But we, of course, know a lot more about our solar system, the planets, the, the asteroids, the moons, the comets, and, and other, other objects in the solar system along with the sun. But we now, of course, know that the sun is just an ordinary star, and it's a member of a, of a collection of stars and dust and gas, which we call a galaxy. We've, we name ours, our home galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. And it's actually located out in the suburbs of one of the spiral arms. The Milky Way is a huge spiral galaxy, and it's about one of, who knows, we don't know how many stars are in our galaxy. We're estimating about 100 to 200 billion stars in our own galaxy which, at traveling at the speed of light, it would take you 125,000 years to travel across the galaxy. So it's a, it's a big place. But we can go further. In this map, in the center of this map, we show the Milky Way galaxy. And the Milky Way galaxy is a, is, is, is a member of a small cluster of, of galaxies, about 40 galaxies, which we, we just call the local group. I don't know why they didn't come up with a more imaginative name, but that's all it's called, the local group. And in this group, there are two other galaxies, the Andromeda Galaxy and the Triangulum Galaxy, which are also fairly large spiral galaxies. So those two galaxies, along with the Milky Way, are kind of the heavyweights in this local group, and there's a number of other smaller galaxies. Some of them are actually satellite galaxies of the Milky Way and, and, and the Andromeda Galaxy. But if we look further out into space, probably in about, oh, I don't know, probably in about 100, 100 million light years away, again, the Milky Way galaxy is in the center here, but we start to see a pattern. We start to see that the galaxies are clustered together. They're not uniformly spread out. And we keep going further out, like out to, out to 1 billion light years. We see this pattern continues. And even in the, on a larger scale, the galaxies are in small clusters. The clusters are getting together into superclusters. And they're forming these long strings and sheets and walls of galaxies where other areas are very devoid of galaxies. So there seems to be a, st a structure to the universe. And if we go further out into what we can observe in the universe, we see this common structure of the arrangements of the galaxies, kind of referred to as a soap suds model. The galaxies are kind of arranged on the, on the outer sides of the outside of the bubbles, whereas the insides are quite devoid of galaxies. From, for cosmology, this is a huge question. So why did matter f take on this, this structure in the universe? Why did the galaxies clump the way they did? And that's one of the one of the great questions in cosmology right now, which is, a, which is a branch of astronomy. So that's at the big scale. Let's get a little closer home, and let's, let's take a look at our, our, uh, our own, uh, uh, the nearest star to us, which, of course, is the sun, but not so much the sun itself, but that the fact that it is a star. And this is a photograph of the sun uh, through special filters showing the photosphere and some of the sunspots. But I want to get into the, the heart of the star, the core of the star, where the, where the action is occurring. And this is, there's, a, there's a battle here that's occurring between the energy that's being released, which is trying to cause the star to explode, and there is the gravitational uh, efforts of the, of the star to trying to collapse on itself. So it's, it's, so it's an equilibrium between the two processes. 
processes. So in the core, we have this thermonuclear process occurring, the conversion of hydrogen to helium, creating a tremendous amount of energy according to Einstein's equation. I'm sure most of you have seen at one time, maybe even on, on T-shirts and stuff. But the, this, this interconversion between energy and mass and the, the letter, letter C is the, uh, the speed of light, which is a, which is a constant in, in the equation. But learning this whole process, we've, we've developed a, a good working model of how stars uh, begin, go through their life cycle, and end, the this, this stellar life cycles. And we know through this process that all the elements are created. All the elements above uh, hydrogen, helium, and lithium are created through the the stellar evolution or the stellar life cycles as stars go through their life cycle, which can last you know, hundreds of millions of years. And in this process, we've had to go into the heart of the, of the atoms. We had to go into, into, into uh, particle physics, physics to understand some of these processes in terms of how stars function and how other processes occur in the universe. And you see there's a whole zoo of, of subatomical particles, some of which you've heard of, some of which you probably haven't. There's a whole others that they're still investigating. So what I'm, the point I'm trying to raise here, going from the very large to the very small, is that astronomy as a science is, is a science of extremes. You have to study all the way from the, from the very small to the very large, from subatomical all the way up to the galaxies and how the galaxies arrange on a universal scale. And you throw in a little bit of energy and matter and, of course, time. I mean, as a science, you've got the full meal deal here. You've got everything as Klaus has kind of alluded to, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite, quite big. And, of course, astronomy is, is, is recognized as one of the first, first uh, of the natural sciences that were developed, and it's been developing over the last 400 years. So we study the universe, and we have a, a vast variety of technologies now. Of course, Galileo started with a, with a very primitive telescope, but now we're on the verge of building a 30 meters telescope. We were we were informed uh, uh, a few uh, a month ago. We had a public speaker talking about the 30 meter telescope that they're planning to build, and Galileo would have been totally amazed. But but uh, so so what 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 is all this uh, knowledge that we've gained? Uh, I guess you know what's 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 the uh, what is its purpose or use? Uh, we, we certainly have learned a lot about the universe over the last 400 years, and this story has hasn't happened overnight. It has taken 400 years for us to have a, a working understanding of the universe, and it is as a result of, of a, a, a huge number of people, uh, very bright people, thinking about this and you know, at a theoretical level and at an observational level and experimental level. And I've just listed a few here, which many of us have already talked about. Uh, you know, Copernicus, of course, Galileo, Newton, Einstein, and there's many, many others that have put together this story and like I say, it's on, as, as Newton referred to it, on the shoulders of giants. And what we have is a, a model. This is affectionately known as the Big Bang Theory that's been around for several decades now. And we have a pretty good understanding of how the universe has evolved. We haven't asked that question, how did it get started? But they have a pretty good idea what the physics were li was like you know, within a fraction of a second after it, after it started and has continued now for the last what I think is 13.7 billion years, they've estimated the age of the, of the universe. And we, um, we know that the solar system started about four and a half billion years ago, life on Earth, you know, two, three or so billion years ago, and so on. So we have this amazing um, 
story now, uh, understanding of the universe based on our observational science, our, our, our theoretical uh, considerations and whatnot. And I would probably, if I if I asked everyone in the room, if I went to the individual and asked him, you know, what is the major, what is what would you think is a major achievement by humanity? And I probably get, I'm not sure how many people's in here, but I probably get a different answer from most people. But I propose to you that this is probably this this model that we had is probably one of the uh, the most major achievement, the greatest achievement of humankind in terms of how it was developed, its history, and the effort that was required to do to to, to put it together. And that would be my my that would be my suggestion as as one of humanity's greatest greatest achievement. When we stop and think about really what it what it represents and how it was achieved. So in terms of trying to say, okay, so what? What's, what is its importance? I don't know if I'm qualified to even say that uh, or to answer that question, but I'll, I'll maybe you know, put one perspective on it, and let's, let's come back to our home planet. And this is probably one of the most famous photographs ever taken by the Apollo 8 astronauts in December of, of 1968 when, they, when humans first circled the moon, showing the Earth rising over the lunar horizon. And we know the Earth, when we saw that Earth hanging over the lunar landscape, it was hanging in, in, in the blackness of space. And, and it is certainly a, a planet on its own, right? But we know now that the planet has an extraterrestrial environment connection. And certainly, it's no surprise, you know, we're certainly connected and, and rely on the sun very much so in terms of supplying us energy and light. The moon is very important to the to the Earth as well in terms of how the Earth uh, functions as a habitable planet uh, in terms of stabilizing its spin and the tidal forces it has on the planet. The planet also is continuously bombarded with materials. Most of it nowadays is very small and just burns up in the atmosphere, but the Earth actually receives several, several thousand tons of material from space every year. But occasionally we do get a big one, and we know the Earth has been impacted by large objects in the past, and there's no reason why we won't be hit again in the future. And there's pretty good evidence, uh, geological evidence, that the uh, uh, mass extinctions in the past has been caused by impacts, let's say, of a large asteroid or comet. So, so having an understanding of our extraterrestrial environment is important in understanding, understanding the, the, uh, our home planet. So the Earth has been referred to as the pale blue dot by, by uh, Carl Sagan. And, of course, this is where we live, and this is the only place we live. And just to quote uh, Carl Sagan here, he says, who, who are we? We find that we live on an insignificant planet of a humdrum star lost in a galaxy tucked away in some forgotten corner of the universe in which there are far more galaxies than people. So it kind of says, well, we're not that, that important. The planet is very insignificant, which, you know, on, on, on the universal scale, that's true. But, of course, planet Earth is very, very important to us. It's very significant to us as a human race. It's very significant to our, to our co-species uh, that we, sh we, we attempt to share uh, this planet with, which we sometimes don't do a very, very good job with. This Earth was also very significant to past species that have come before us, and it probably will be very important and significant to species that come, come after us. So in terms of understanding the universe, we always can come back to our home planet and say, okay, this is our home. Are we looking after it very well? And I think we can say that we are not doing a very good job right now, and we maybe need to do a better job because... 
Um, we know there are no other Earths out there, at least not nearby, and you certainly can't go to eBay and order a new one. So just to finish off, how am I doing there for time, Klaus? Okay, great. So just to end off here, as I said, this is a celebration of, 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 of astronomy, which, of course, is a science, and we're trying to engage the public into having a Galileo moment. So I'd like to just actually read a little poem here that kind of reflects on this. And actually, it's, uh, it's lyrics to a, uh, to a song written by a person named Patty Boyd. It was a calm and cloudless night, but it was all still a blur. A shaking of our universe was just about to occur. It was summertime, 1609, when Galileo used his telescope for the first time. And he saw mountains and craters on the moon, a Milky Way with thousands of stars. And he saw Jupiter and the four tiny moons. And he was the only man on Earth that night who knew that Copernicus was right. Come outside with me tonight, and I'll show you the wonders of the world, to surprise and delight. I've got my telescope with me. Just wait until you see that on the shoulders of giants we'll see beyond. The world turns around and around. Now around 400 years have flown since Galileo's telescope first focused the unknown. Now we're using bigger glass to peer into the past, and we're discovering the universe secrets at last. And there are geysers on Saturn's icy moon, and planets circling hundreds of stars while all the universe expands like a balloon. From Galileo's tiny scope, we've come so far. Galileo was right when we look out into the night and he discovered wonders of the world to surprise and delight. I've got my telescope with me. Just wait until you see. We'll stand on the shoulders of giants. And every step follows the one before and opens up new frontiers to explore. Our scopes are dancing in space to see the beauty and grace. O Galileo would, or, sorry, o Gal o Galileo would approve, that's for sure. And still, for me and you, we can join in on this too. Just climb up here with me where we'll see more. It's a calm and this night. Come outside with me tonight, and I can show you wonders of the world to surprise and delight. I've got my telescope with me. Just wait until you see we'll stand on the shoulders of giants. So I thought that's kind of an appropriate uh, uh, lines for, for, the, for acknowledging uh, 2009 as a year of astronomy. So just a little bit of a plug, if I may, uh, with respect to the Astronomy Society. As Klaus said, I'm a member of the, of the society for, for a few years now. And we're an amateur group, amateur astronomers, and we've been around for, I think it's about 25, 24 years. We operate a an observatory called the Old Man River Observatory in Popson Park on the west side. We've been there since oh, 1991, I think, and this is in, 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 um, in partnership with the city because we are in a city park. And one of our main mandates is public outreach. We do a lot of that type of activity with group visits and whatnot, and, and this year we're doing uh, additional activities in terms of recognizing international astronomy. And I've got a few. We've already done a few already, and, and this is a few that we still have planned. Uh, uh, if you want to hear a, long, a slightly longer version of this presentation, I'm giving this presentation uh, at the public library on, on April the 14th, and we've got a uh, public open house at our observatory, observatory on, April the 20, on, sorry, on April the 18th, starting at 8.30. And we have a special guest coming in on June 11th, again at the public library, Alan Dyer, uh, who is the resident astronomer at the Calgary Science Centre. He's also the producer of the planetarium there. 
And uh, we know him quite well. He's actually quite a good friend of the Westboro Astronomy Society. He's been visiting us for a number of years now. And he's, uh, he's a um, uh, award-winning author, and he's an outstanding astrophotographer, probably the premier in the world in terms of astrophotography. And his, his images are, 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 as Klaus would say, totally awesome, right? Um, so anyway, if, if you're going to see anything this year, this would be a one to go to. So uh, uh, please make note. And I, I think he's entitling it Astronomy Gallery, Gallery Extravaganza. And, I, and like I said, his, his astrophotography skills are, are second to none. And then in recognition of the, uh, of the, uh, the summer solstice, we've got the uh, activity down at the Helen Schuler Center on June the 20th, talking about the sun. And hopefully if it's clear, we'll set up our telescopes and you can safely look at the sun, view the sun. And then in the fall, we're going to have uh, offer a, a six-week astronomy course of these six uh, consecutive Mondays, just talking about uh, the basics of, of astronomy. So if you're interested in that, uh, check us out, check our website, and you can get some information. Outside of the back door, we have a couple have laid out a couple pamphlets. Pamphlets just about the astronomy society itself. And if you're interested in that astronomy course, we have a, a pamphlet on that. So if you want to read more about it and sign up for that, that'd be great. So. If you want to learn a little bit more astronomy, check us out this fall. So with that, Klaus, I think it's lunchtime.